episode of hero paranormal podcast that's right my name is ryan the original outlaw of the airwaves bringing you a vip episode of hero paranormal podcast broadcasting from the base at la madre mountain just south of area 51 bringing you a humdinger of an episode tonight epic to say the least if you haven't heard of ron johnson well then you're probably not from utah On today's episode, we have the amazing researcher, wildlife photographer, landscape photographer, very talented individual, Ron Johnson. Some of you may know Ron from Grant Cameron's podcast series. Ron has had some of the most interesting and insightful experiences when it comes to the paranormal. Ron has experiences he remembers as a child that absolutely blew my mind. He has been in most of the squatchy areas of Utah, and he always keeps his hand on the pulse of what's going on. Ron has investigated some of the most remote places of the entire state. In fact, he is, well, based in area very close to some of the most remote places in the entire state. And he's very knowledgeable of these areas. Ron and I had a mutual friend named Daryl Smith, who was, well, quite, quite the investigator. And he was a high strangeness investigator who really made his mark on the Utah Bigfoot scene, amongst other scenes. And we will discuss Daryl and some of the mutual experiences we had with Daryl as well. Ron has also had some of the most remarkable experiences with a particular entity who even gave him an, well, uncanny information about the flying of very mysterious craft. We are going to get into UFOs, piloting UFOs, entities who are in the craft, Bigfoot, and much more. The best part about the whole thing is Ron is someone who is just one of the nicest guys around. I consider him a friend and I can't wait to get into all the good stuff. If you haven't been over to the good stuff at heroparanormal.com, check it out. Simple website with an archive. You can go there and you can listen to it. And, uh, well, without further ado, let's get to Ron Johnson, experiencer extraordinaire, researcher who's been to the most remote places of the state looking for the most wild of things. Ron Johnson, welcome to the Hero Paranormal podcast, my friend. Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I, I had an okay Thanksgiving. How was yours? Oh, it was fantastic. Oh, good. It was great. I'm still uh, bloated from it. Right. That's how I am. That's exactly how I am. <clears throat> so you've been posting a lot of really cool shots of uh, right around the carbon area there. Have you heard anything new on the Bigfoot front? there uh with 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 bigfoot stuff uh 
uh, not really, not around here. It's kind of turned quiet. But uh, still, still looking, still going out and doing calls and stuff. So hopefully something will come up. Yeah, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. And I wanted to talk to you while 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 I have you for a bit. Um, you have so many amazing stories and so many amazing experiences, Ron. I wanted you to kind of, if you can think back, I know it's difficult to because you've had so many Bigfoot excursions and ghost hunts and all kinds of stuff. But yeah. what are some of the ones that have, over the years, made the biggest impressions on you? Well, the ones, uh, the ones that I really, really uh, cherish are the ones when uh, I would go out with uh, Daryl Smith. Mm-hmm. Yep. We would go to, uh, uh, most of the times, you would end up going to uh, uh, over there by Camus. Uh, what's the name of that mountain? Hoyt Peak? Was it Hoyt Peak? Hoyt Peak, yeah. Hoyt Peak. I didn't think I'd ever forget that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember one trip over there with Daryl. We, uh, we got there, and as we were driving up from uh, Samish, we passed two U.S. government vans. They were two Ford vans, mm -hmm. and so we got up there, and we parked the truck, and then we went down this draw where we had been seeing tracks, and the darn thing, uh, after we got down there, I think we were down there for about two, three hours, and then when we went back to the truck, this is unusual. I have never heard this before. But when we left, I locked the doors on my truck. I had a Dodge Ram four-door crew cab. Mm -hmm. And when we got back, all four doors were open. The box was open. Everything inside the truck, including what was in the uh, glove box, yep. was laid out systematically in order on the ground around the truck. Everything in the back of the truck was out on the ground. Uh, the coolers that had our food and our lunches in it, everything was out of the cooler and laying on the ground. Uh, it was really, really odd. <laughs> that is one of the weirdest things I think I've ever heard. What in the heck? That reminds me, my gosh. So, like, in order of however you put it in is kind of how it was taken out and left around. That is very inquisitive. Do you, what, what did you attribute it to, or do you have any ideas? I, I, I still think, and I told Daryl, that I believe it has something to do with those two U.S. government vans we saw while we were driving up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea why, but uh, what's weird is I had all my uh, camera equipment in the back seat, my camera cases, I had my floor 
the thermal imaging camera, all that stuff. And it was all laying out on the ground, just, I mean, nice and neat, just like somebody was having a swap meet. It was really odd. And nothing was taken, which is so strange. Nope, everything was there. Nothing was missing. Now, in, I've heard a lot of Bigfoot tales coming from the Hoyt Peak area there, Ron. Did you guys ever get any responses to uh, Bigfoot calls or knocks? Yes, yes, we did. Uh, the, I don't know, have you seen the plaster cast that I have? Yes, amazing. Okay. Yeah, me and uh, Daryl, we were in this draw where we found them. And there was actually five steps of tracks. There was a set of 22, 23-inch tracks, a set of 22-inch tracks, a set of 19-inch tracks, and then a set of 12 and 13. But they, they were, you know, pretty old, uh, probably made from the previous fall, I believe. But we, uh, we followed them, and uh, we picked out the best two that we could find, and that was the two. But anyways, right after we got through cleaning up, uh, after making the cast, uh, we kind of cleaned up the area so we didn't you know, leave it disturbed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I asked uh, Daryl to uh, give one of his calls. And uh, we were probably about pretty close to a mile away from the truck. And it was already starting to get turned late evening, mm-hmm. starting to get dark. <laughs> and so Daryl let out one of his yells, screams, and uh, we had uh, something answered back three times. And it's, uh, it just, I just turned ice cold because it wasn't that far away, <laughs> whatever it was. It doesn't, it's, it, the same, uh-huh. it's the same sound, three screams that I've heard when I've done uh, Bigfoot calling up uh, where I had my sighting and then up here on top of the uh, book cliffs. And where was where was the location of your sighting, Ron? Mine in Sea Canyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where East Carbon is, where I live. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Okay, if you go due west along the base of the foot mountain or the Book Cliff Mountains from East Carbon, and you go over, let's see, I think it's one two. I think it's five canyons over. It's roughly about uh, eight miles away. Okay. There's a uh, canyon. It's called Sea Canyon. And that, that's where I had my sighting. And uh, there's a uh, coal mine out there called West Ridge. But uh, they're, they're not in business anymore. They've got it closed down. I think I have been in that area now that you mention it there. It is, there's a, there's so much neat stuff there close by to you. 
I, it, it, have, one area that just fascinates me that is uh, not too far away is Nine Mile Canyon. Have you had any experiences up there, Ron? None. I haven't had any. I've been up there doing calls. Uh, the only ex- time I've had anything up there was that time that you, me, and Daryl went up there and you showed us what uh, might have been a uh, uh, a Bigfoot hut. Oh, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. That's about the only thing I had there uh, experience-wise. But uh, I, I know they're there. I know they're in that area. Yeah, I've heard, I've, I've heard tales of that. And have you um, come across any, one thing that a lot of people come across is physical evidence. You have the, you have the foot casts. Have you come across any other physical evidence like hair or other matters? Yes. Um, Hear about uh, the last partner I had, my cousin, uh, the one that died. Mm -hmm. He, uh, we were up, uh, we interviewed a woman that saw one standing on the side of the uh, highway, right at the top of uh, Price Canyon. And I I guess it really shook her up pretty bad. She pulled over the side of the road after she passed it and said she had to calm down. And uh, so me and my cousin, we went up there, we were looking around, and right where she had the sighting where it was standing on the back side of the road, there was a, uh, when you when you go along the top of Price Canyon, there's uh, some pretty tall ledges along the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And there's one little spot where there's no ledges, but the, the land just kind of tapers uh, down to the road. And there's trees right there, and that's where the siding was. And so we were up there looking around, and I got hair samples off of a off the fence there, right where she saw it. And I I don't know, uh, I just don't know who to send. I've been it, trying through the university here, and uh, they just. Tell me they, you know, you'll just have to find somebody that can DNA sample them. Mm-hmm. Really cool that you found, it's really cool that you found a, a hair sample, though. I think they're harder to come across, to, you know, and I think you're yeah. right. Bar- those barbed wire fences are gold mines when it comes to looking for hair samples. So that's so neat. Um, jump, yeah. kind of jumping off topic a bit, there in Price, there is a long history of well ufos and even there is a history of project blue book coming through the area and canvassing from home to home do have as far as that's concerned i i had some interesting information come across that the project blue book files were actually purchased by ancestry.com which i thought that was kind of interesting you know that they would that they would buy the Project Blue Book files. But Ron, when you were a kid growing up in the area, do you remember anywhere in Price there, Project Blue Book coming through and asking questions about UFOs? 
No. No, nothing, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Not in the price area. Have you seen any UFOs down there in the carbon area? Oh yeah, a lot. <laughs> quite, quite a few. Give us. A, uh, yeah, tell us some of the better ones. Yeah. I, me and my sister, we were down in Price, and. Uh, This was probably about nine months ago, nine, ten months ago. Oh, cool. And I got, I seen a uh, thing in the sky, uh, an object. It, it wasn't an airplane or anything. I took a picture of it, and it uh, kind of looks like a jelly bean. <laughs> oh, wow. So weird. Okay. Uh, you might have seen it. On, I posted it on I think Facebook. I... I think I did. It was really, yes. Yes, I'm looking now. Yes, very interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, and then another one. I used to go up on top of the uh, oak cliffs here, uh, above East Carbon on uh, Bruin Point. And uh, one time I was up there. This was a couple years ago. And I was uh, taking pictures of uh, chemtrails. And there was one big chemtrail running across the sky, just almost above me. And then I noticed something paralleling it, but going in the opposite direction. And so I just, instead of finding out what it was, I just put my camera up there and just started taking pictures. And I took like 36 pictures of this thing. And it had kind of paralleled the uh, chemtrail and it came down and then it made a <clears throat> about a uh, I'd say about a 35 degree turn and almost went back in the direction that it came from and uh, this thing it looked like four That sounds really, really cool. And, and uh, well, yeah, go ahead. Oh, that one, uh, it was hit when it made the turn and went kind of back, kind of sort of towards the way it was coming from. It was headed right towards in the direction of the Skinwalker Ranch. Because mm -hmm. when, when you're up on top up there, before you drop down into... Uh, the lower areas where uh, Nine Mile is, you're not that far from the Skinwalker Ranch. You're real close. You're within probably 40, 41 miles of it. Mm. And it's interesting. Um, you th So the area in general, it's really cool that you live in the area because we've, we've had experiences and been able to talk about things. And, uh, yeah, through Daryl, who we've been mentioning, who's no longer with us, but who was a big time, big time Bigfoot hunter in the area. And, and, uh, he had this amazing map with little footprints of everywhere he had taken a report on a three by five card 
by an eyewitness. And then he would put a little Sasquatch foot on the a massive map of the state of Utah, the size of a, well, gosh, it was massive. You remember that, Ron? Oh, yeah, I remember that. In uh, fact, that's where I, uh, I made one. Oh, how <laughs> cool. I kind of put all of his sightings on there along with mine. But um, then when he got sick and uh, died, I never uh, got to finish putting all of his on there. I got probably half of them. But. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. It, it was a pretty good map, and it had, you know, it was neat because it kind of showed the areas and how often Bigfoot is seen in Utah, and it's a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a bit. Uh, one reason why I wanted to do that is a lot of the researchers that I've talked to, not you, but other ones. Mm-hmm. They've always told me that uh, don't quit wasting your time here in Carbon and Henry counties. He says there's no Bigfoot sightings down there. They're all up here in the north by Ogden or in the uh, Uinta Mountains. Mm-hmm. I told him, you know, hogwash. I said there's quite a few Bigfoot sightings. I hear reports from people all the time here in Carbon and Henry counties. And so I started collecting them, just like Daryl did. Then I'd interview the people, uh, try to get try to get a video of them, but most of them don't want to be videotaped. But uh, there is. I've got uh, over 109 just in the uh, Castle Valley area here. And I only have a few of those, you know, on my... Uh, website i gotta finish getting the rest of them out there 109 is quite a few considering you know this area and i say this area because uh i you and i lived over the mountain from each other for many many years over a decade Mm -hmm. and um yeah everything in between us too seemed like you know between the uina basin and between carbon and emery Everything in between there is questionable, mysterious badlands. Uh, A lot of strange happenings take place. And I wanted to kind of switch base a little bit and kind of go into um, some of your experiences. Very, the coolest, I think, that I've heard uh, experiences as a kid. Because I know a lot of people these days have, well, my lab is a lot more well-known nowadays. And it's not a big deal, but... You were talking about this before my lab was even popular. And as a kid, you had some some interesting experiences as a kid that may have had some government ties. Uh, I have. Um, Could you tell us like a, the story of how that how that went about? Like as a kid, how was it? What did it feel like? Was it, you know, a little bit different? mind-blowing um one experience i had i a lot of the experiences that i've experiences that i've had as a child oh not so much uh my lab Mm -hmm. but uh 
do was, I believe, was uh, Men in Black, MIB. Sure. Um, and one of those experiences was I was in, uh, it was the fifth grade in elementary school. And this was back in 1960, I think it was 61. And this is in Southern California where I grew up. And I was on the uh, uh, playground with a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And I was showing him this I have on my ear that I've had my whole entire life that uh, is a implant under the skin. It's like a little metal ball. Yeah, I've seen it. And can you kind of, yeah, it's, it, it's very unnoticeable unless you know what to look for. Right. And uh, anyway, that's how I showed him that there had been something that was in my ear that, and I was, it had been bugging me all day. And I was trying to dig it out with my little finger, and I finally got it out. And it looked like a little tiny, you know, the spring that's in a ballpoint pen? Yeah, yeah. It looked like one of those, except for it was only about two meters long, millimeters long. And it looked like it was wrapped in brown paper. Whoa. And I pulled that out of my ear, and I went over, it scared me. You know, as young as I was, I was, you know, frightened the hell out of me. So I took it over to the teacher on the playground, <clears throat> showed it to her, and she slaps it out of my hand and says, stop messing with your ear, you're going to pull your eardrum out and go down. And that scared me even more. And so I was standing there, the teacher walked off, and there was a man walked up to me wearing a black suit. Had a narrow white or a narrow black tie, and he came up to me, called me by my name, and told me that uh, if I didn't stop messing with my ear, I'd go deaf. And then he turned around and he left. And when he left the playground, there's a ramp that goes from the playground we were at down to the street down below. And the school was sitting on the side of a hill. And I watched him walk all the way down the ramp to the street down below, stopped, turned around, looked at me, then he walked off. And uh, I believe it was a, you know, he, he didn't wear a hat, but he looked like the typical MIB, like a, men in, like a man in black. That's what it sounds like. But I did have a MyLab experience in... Uh, 2009. Wow, can we hear about uh, that? Yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, with LB, uh, the entity that I've been having encounters with between 2008 and 2010. And uh, back in 2006, I was in an industrial accident, a uh, pretty bad one. It, uh, Messed my left leg up, and uh, it uh, missed, gave. Me, I had uh, spinal damage, spinal cord damage from it, and I had to have back immediate back surgery. So they 
put me in a hospital up north, and I went through an operation and got the use of my left leg back, but the pain in my back was so severe, I couldn't even bend over, and for years I couldn't bend over, I couldn't pin, put my uh, pants on, I couldn't put my socks or my shoes on, I had to have help. And I was really getting depressed from this. So I started meditating. I was asking God for help. I was asking anybody <laughs> for help. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, I started having these encounters with uh, LB after I started meditating. And I think it was about nine months or so later after I started, I, I thought to myself that, well, nobody's going to help me. So I just stopped meditating. I said, God's not going to help me. Nobody's going to help me. I'm just going to have to put up with this the rest of my life. And it went on and on and on. I was having these encounters with uh, L.B., and then in 2009, uh, I had one abduction encounter with him, and I ended up on a uh, stainless steel table that was in a, uh, it looked like it was in a uh, laboratory, and it, there was uh, people in there along with the aliens, the entities, and they were all wearing white lab coats. And uh, so the, I was laying on this table face down, and this one man comes over, and he tells me, he says, there's some entities that want to, they want to check you over. They want to examine you. They want to look at your brain, and they want to look at your back where you had your back surgery. And I was just, you know, petrified in this. I didn't know what the heck was happening. And uh, so this entity comes over, uh, the one that I have been seeing since 2008. And at that time, I did not know what his name was. He didn't reveal his name, but he did right after this. And so he comes over and he tells me, he says, I want to examine your brain. I want to examine your back, your spine, where you had your back spirit. So he gets up on the table and it's like he's going inside my spine. And man, I tell you, Ryan, you talk about hurt. I mean, the pain was so severe. I was actually praying that God take my life. Mm-hmm. It hurt that bad. And this went on for a while, and it felt like he was right inside where my spinal cord was. <clears throat> and so he gets done with that, and then the, uh, he grabs my head and jerks it back, and he sticks his three long bony fingers in my mouth 
and presses them up against my upper palate, pulls them out of my mouth and up my face and across the top of my head. Does this three times. I have no idea what it's for or what he was, you know, doing it for. And so he gets down off me, comes around, grabs my left ear, and it feels like he's going to rip it right off the side of my head. And he tells me that uh, this is where your implant is. And he takes his finger and he rubs it across that little ball that I was telling you about mm -hmm. behind my ear. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is your implant. He says, you were thinking about having it removed. He says, don't do it. But for whatever reason, don't you ever have that removed. Mm -hmm. And it was, just sounded sinister the way he said that. And I, at the time, I was going to have uh, Dr. Roger Lear was going to remove it. Mm -hmm. And so I called him back up and told him that I, there's no way I can have it removed. <laughs> and uh, that was uh, in a mill lab type setting uh, with both entities and humans. And uh, that's pretty much the only mill lab yeah. that I, you know, that I've had. It's so cool though. And it hits home on so many levels. Like you said, the entities, the, my lab, the, again, it hits, you know, yeah. back, back with the uh, implant and, I've heard that from a lot of individuals that hits home with me too, just because I've heard it so often. And, and in my own historic research and experiences, sometimes it's maybe best to leave everything on, you know, the way it is and not, not, not have it removed as, as Roger Lear was doing, but it really depends on the yeah. situation and the individual, you know, some people are very bothered by, by these implants. Yeah, this one, it, it never bothers me, but what's weird is it'll, it's like it moves to a different location, mm. and then it'll move back to where it originally was, mm -hmm. and it's just weird. Um, how I met Roger Lear was, uh, you know Patty Greer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she introduced me. Uh, I did an interview with Patty at the IUFOC conference, mm -hmm. and she introduced me to Roger, or Roger Lear, Dr. Lear. And uh, when I met him, there was another woman that uh, was there talking to Roger Lear, and she had the same exact thing on her ears I had on mine in the same exact location. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, what are the odds of that? That that can't be a coincidence, you know? That that there's a possibility that uh and, and I've heard that the ears, if I'm not mistaken, the nose, the toes. Yeah. I, th there's yeah. areas that are specifically targeted for these implants. Don't know how long I've had it, but my mom told me that uh, 
it's been on it is there on me ever since I was born. Ever since I was you know first born, it was there. She noticed it. Yeah, a lot of these things seem to be genetic, or at least the predisposition. You know, like that whole 1970s Project Blue Book, all those reports being purchased by Ancestry.com, you only, I mean, I only guess that they're doing it to see if there is a genetic component. And it is interesting because, yeah, typically people that see UFOs have parents that see UFOs and see high strangeness, and then they have kids that witness and engage in the same phenomena. Yeah. In my, uh, I know what my mom has, and my dad has, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad used to have uh, visitors that would come in through the uh, ceiling on a... Uh, my dad called it a, a line, but I, I think he was trying to describe a, a beam of light, mm-hmm. and it was... Uh, these little grays would come down. The way he would describe them... I, I'm sure they were grays. Right. They would come down and they would show them things and then they would leave and go back up. And uh, it was just weird. This was about, the, he started telling me about this about the time I started having these encounters with Elby. But, uh, were there any, yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's, it seems to be a, a family thing. It's not just one person. Yeah. But it's usually the whole entire family. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Did your, were your mom's encounters more visual, just sightings? Uh, yeah, uh, basically with my mom, I never really did bother her about, you know, what she was seeing or anything until... Uh, the last year before she died, then I started asking her questions about uh, what she had been seeing. And uh, she says, I, I know of your encounters. And she would tell me that uh, she would become paralyzed in bed, wouldn't be able to move. And she said, the little people would come for you mm. and they would take you out with them and I don't remember anything like that but my mom was telling me this and she get so upset over this um, she'd just go to pieces and she was so afraid that they were going to take me one day and I'd you know never come back <laughs> And she said, if I could get up out of bed, I'd kill every one of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a but lot she of... She, uh-huh. she would see them, uh, they would come like in the middle of the night and then take me out the front door. <laughs> wow. And it really shocked me because, you know, I was surprised she never told me this before. I had to ask her if, you know, she was keeping this stuff pretty much to herself. And that part I understand, you know, trying to protect your 
you're you're i would get be, being a parent myself i would say you know kind of hope oh i hope my kid is uh you know does not have these experiences because some of them are a little bit traumatic and i think it's so amazing your story about the healing process though that was so neat about your back but there are oh, yeah. there's a lot of trauma involved with a lot of these experiences oh there is uh but i'll tell you you know they hurt me mm-hmm. when they were working on my back i mean they hurt me bad it was almost to the point where I couldn't stand it. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, that next day, when, you know, that next morning, after I'd been returned back home, uh, it was like a 90% improvement. I could bend over. I could put my shoes on. The back didn't hurt that much. It just a little bit. And to this day, I haven't had any problems with it. It was a, it was a healing. That's what it was. Such a neat story. It's nice when there's a story with a little, with, with, with a, with a silver lining. And Ron, you also, I wanted to ask you about some of my, the things that intrigue me the most, which of course are the UFO aspects and the, you know, we've kind of gone over sightings and things of that nature. Have you ever, well, the craft. Um, have you seen any craft up close and personal? And I know in the basin, you and I have spoken about what we've seen in the skies. It's pretty amazing. Um, could you give us any info on kind of like UFO UAP studies and your experiences with that? Oh, you bet. Uh, when I started having these encounters with LB, uh, they would always start out the same way. I'd go to bed, there would be a beam of light that would extend from the ceiling down to the floor. Uh, I think it was plasma is what it was, but I'm not exactly sure. It was, it, mm-hmm. You ever, in a dark room, open up a door a little bit, and then, you know, when there's a light on in another room, you get that kind of, like, strip of light by the door. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what it reminded me of. But uh, anyways, I would see this, and then everything would turn a fuzzy white, and then I, boom, I was out. And then I would come to, and usually I would come to in a room walking symbols, sitting on a chair, on an armless chair in this little room. And this went on and on for quite a few times. And then towards about the middle of uh, 2009, I think it was, uh, the uh, experience started the same way. The beam of light, I went, went to bed. Everything turned to fuzzy white, except this time I came to on a ship of some sort on a craft and me and this entity were standing up it was kind of like a teardrop shape craft mm-hmm. kind of came down to a, somewhat of a point in the front and i'm standing up in front with lb and again at this time i didn't know lb's name uh 
she didn't tell me his name until a little later. But I'm standing with this entity up in front of this crab, and you can see right through the wall, right out into space. And uh, that was neat. He says, I'm going to take you on a trip. And he said, don't be, don't be frightened, don't be scared. Nothing's going to happen to you. And then we start accelerating, and I can feel G-force. And then uh, all of a sudden, everything, I just black out, and then I come to in that room watching uh, symbols. Mm-hmm. And after that, okay, right after the healing in, that I had in, at the end of 2009, yeah. I had another encounter with LB, and uh, this time I knew who he was, because the one before this, he had told me his name. But uh, everything started out the same, had the uh, beam of light, everything turned to fuzzy white, I passed out, and when I came to, I was in this uh, cubicle inside this bigger room. At the time, I didn't know it was a ship, but I was up against the ceiling in a clear rectangular cubicle, and there were other cubicles all around me, and each one had a human in it, had a person in it. And so I'm, I'm looking down below, and the these entities are walking all around, and then pretty soon, cubicle I'm in, it just slowly starts to descend down to the ground level. And all the entities leave except for one. And he comes over, the front of this cubicle opens up, and I step out, and Sylvie, and he's telling me, well, he takes me over to the, uh, the wall, and it kind of, I don't know, opens up, and you could see through it out into space. It was really neat. That is so cool. And uh, so he was telling me, he said, you have to be in this cubicle. because You wouldn't be able to survive. You would die if, you know, you wasn't in there. And so he took me back, and he said, I'll get you a little later, and he put me back in this cubicle, and I rose back and that's probably there a minute or so and then I started to send back down and he was there to meet me when I got when the front of the cubicle opened up and I stepped out and then he tells me it's time for you to know what's happening to you and he says you've been programmed from birth to fly this ship and uh, your what your he says your job will be to transport certain chosen humans to another dimensional earth. Now I don't know if I'm supposed to take that literally or figuratively. But uh, and he says, uh, I want you to come over here. And there was a console sitting in front of this uh, 
uh, this big plastic looking seat. Mm-hmm. Everything on this craft looked like it was one piece. It looked like everything was injected, molded. Uh, there were no seams, no rivets, and on the armrest, there were holes in the end. That, uh, did, did you say on the end of the there, armrest there was holes? Yeah, there were holes that your finger looked like your fingers could go into. Wow. And then there was like a... Uh, uh, that you could put your elbow and your arm in along with these holes. And he said, I want you to place your hands, your fingers, and your arms in these indentations. And as soon as I did that, the whole front of this ship, it was like it disappeared and I could see out into space. And this console, it kind of looked like a, it was, it didn't look mechanical. It looked uh, virtual. <laughs> like really? A, uh, uh-huh. It, it was really strange. <laughs> like a hologram? So, was it like a hologram? or? Yeah, like a hologram. That That's a good way to describe it. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he said, he tells me, that it's all inside you. He says, you'll know what to do. All you have to do is think about it, and the ship will respond to what you're thinking. And uh, I'm thinking, wow, this is, <laughs> this is pretty wild. And he asked me, he says, where would you like to go? And I tell him that, uh, well, I'd like to go out into deep space and see the Milky Way galaxy from a distance. And he says, I want you to think about that. The ship will respond, but don't think about it right now. And he says, I need to warn you that when we take off, well, you're going to feel real bad G-force. And as soon as we start dimension hopping or transversing the dimensions, then you won't have that feeling anymore. And he says, this is how we travel, by transversing the different dimensions. He says, we can't do it going from point A to point B. The distances are too vast. We have to take and go from dimension to dimension to dimension. And said that's how they travel. And so I, I think about, uh, oh, out in deep space, I want to see the Milky Way. And as soon as I think about that, we start exploring. And I can feel the G-force. And it's getting bad, the G-force. And uh, we're going along, going along, and it's just, to the point, everything starts to turn a fuzzy white on me, and I'm just right on the verge of passing out. Can't stand it. And then all of a sudden, we it, the feeling went away. And out the front of the ship, there's different scenarios going on out there. And it's like taking a picture book, a big thick one, mm-hmm. and just flipping through the pages real fast. 
you know how you do like how they used to do motion pictures back in the old days. Yeah, yeah, like from scene to scene, screen to screen. Yeah, it was like that, and uh, it just and it only seemed like it took like a half a second or so. And then we came to a stop, and we're out in deep space, and I see the Milky Way galaxy off in the distance. Looked awesome. And then we're sitting there, and then after, I don't know, about 30 seconds, he tells me, he says, we need to get back. It's time for us to get back. We can't be out here. And so I think let's go back above Earth where we left from, and back to the same location, and then all of a sudden the ship takes off, and then there's that transferring of the uh, dimensions again, and and all this stuff happens in like just a split second. It, it was that quick, and so we got back there, and then he said, uh, "You you've seen too much. You've had too much." Uh, to think of right now and he says uh, time for you to go back and uh, we'll continue this later but uh, the ship was awesome it was almost like a uh, black porcelain everything was there was no sharp corners everything was radius rounded Mm -hmm. there was no points on anything everything was uh radiant stuff and uh, like I say there was no uh, no nuts and bolts uh, nothing like that there wasn't even any light uh, you know like uh, yeah yeah the lighting was it was ambient it was just there you know amazing Ron my gosh well and it's not like you know, uh, so many people obviously have a hard time wrapping their heads around things, but I love the quote for those that don't believe that this stuff exists. The quote from Ben Rich, the former CEO of Lockheed Martin's Skunk Works division. And right. his quote was, we have already the means to travel among the stars, but these technologies are locked up in black projects and it would take an act of God to ever get them to benefit humanity. Anything you can imagine, we already know how to do. So it just goes to show that he's admitting that, I mean, if we can think it up, kind of what you're saying, I mean, almost exactly what you're saying in the ship. If you, you, yeah. ha- you know, you think it up and then you go there. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's all done telepathically. Uh, ESP. And you know, Grant Cameron's been... Uh, talking about a lot a lot of this you know in the last couple of years love grant yeah yeah i do too he's been real good with me i'm surprised he has anything to do with me but <laughs> he's a great guy oh i don't know he thinks the world of you when i've talked to him and it's yeah. you know an interesting thing ron is that a lot of the you know the messages that you were receiving, for example, that you were kind of, you know, the pilot uh, of this craft. Yeah. That's amazing to yeah. me. 
That's that's what Grant calls me, the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah, it's awesome. If you ever have experiences, that's one experience that you know, I, I hope hope you get to have. Because I tell you, it's awesome. Now, I wanted to jump back to some experiences that you and I and Daryl had in the Uinta Basin because Mm -hmm. at the time, and this was years ago, but at the time we were at the old Strawberry River Bed and Breakfast, I believe, and we saw saw something similar to an MIB kind of pull over next to us. And, uh, well, at the time, I I didn't think that technology existed, these quote-unquote non-lethal weapons or anti-drone guns or whatever you want to call them, orgone energy guns. I've heard so many different terms for so many different kinds of pulse, wave, electromagnetic frequency weapons. Um, But we saw something like that. And uh, Daryl kind of got sick shortly thereafter. I was going to ask you, have you seen anybody or have you heard of anyone recently getting sick from sightings, weird, strange, paranormal behavior, things of that nature, or or even in the past? Uh, Daryl's the only one that comes to mind. Right. And, uh, you know, that time we were out at your bed and breakfast mm-hmm. and the, uh, the encounter with the, the vehicles and the people over in the parking lot mm-hmm. uh, across the field from where your house or your bed and breakfast was. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, that was a weird one. Right after that, we went to uh, Hoyt Peak. I think it was like a week or two after that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got up there, and then Daryl was having problems walking. And uh, we figured it was, he, he thought it was just his hips bothering him. So he went to the uh, the doctor, and they told him that he had uh, was contacting ALS. That just totally blew me away. And I mean, it was just that quick, you know. It was sudden. It was fast. It came on fast. Yeah. And, and of course, Daryl handled it like a gentleman, but it did just come did. and decimate him. God, I, I, I would go up and try to visit him whenever I could, and... Uh, it was hard seeing seeing him laying in bed like that and not being not being able to move. Mm-hmm. It was just it was gut wrenching. It really was. Yeah, ALS is not a fun, and you know other people know it as Lou Gehrig's, but it 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 just comes out of nowhere, and yeah. and it just it just tears you up. Yeah, and I got a. Uh, just before he died, I think it was like about a week, a week or so, maybe a week and a half. He wanted me to come up. He wanted to do a, an interview. He wanted to talk on the Utah Bigfoot. Okay. And so I went up there and I recorded them. And I made these discs of this. It lasted about an hour and a half. And I've got one for you. And I got I get it to you. And I got one for Dave. Oh, how cool. Thanks, Ron. I would. That's so cool of you. That's like the, the best Christmas wanted, present he, ever. He's 
says, promise me. He says, make sure you give everybody in our little group a copy of this. And I said, I will. Man, that is so cool. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on today, Ron, and speaking with me. I know it's the day after Thanksgiving. You recently had a birthday this week. Happy birthday. And, oh, you. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's, a, it's holiday time, and, and I, I, I hate to pull you away from it, but, man, you have so many amazing experiences and information, and I just appreciate you talking with me again. And yeah, uh, no problem. I'll definitely reach out to you when I come up to Utah again, and, and we'll have to touch base. Yeah. Oh, aren't you, where are you at? I'm right now. I am in Las Vegas. Um, I, oh. I, I still come up to Utah about every month. So, but all it's just so cold. My gosh. And with this COVID stuff, it's been wild. What are your thoughts on this interesting monolith? I guess the very last thing, this is weird. Going down Tuesday to look at it, take pictures of it. I want to measure it and do all kinds of different things with it paranormally. I love it. Uh, I'm going to do some uh, EVPs there, providing that it's not crowded with people. Mm-hmm. But that's why I want to go down Tuesday, because I think most everybody will be at work. <laughs> that's a great idea. That is a really good idea. Well, I can't wait to talk to you again, Ron. Um, blessings. Thanks for coming on, and I, I, I appreciate you. Thank you. Okay. Well, I appreciate you having me. <laughs> okay, we'll talk soon, my friend. Take care. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ron is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And true to his word, everything that he investigates, he gets down and dirty about. He spends the evening in some of the coldest peaks in Utah, I know, because I've been there with him. And, uh, yeah, he'll, he'll four-wheel way out in the middle of nowhere and uh, up up the craziest hills, elevation doesn't matter. So he has researched some of the most wild places in the state and has some of the most wild experiences and is just such a treasure trove of information. I was really happy that he came on the podcast. He had a birthday earlier this week, obviously Thanksgiving yesterday. We've all been busy with family, and uh, but his, his stuff is so important and so unique. It's, it's really interesting information that I believe everyone needs to hear. Ron Johnson is in Price, Utah, and you can follow him on social media. You can find him and his photography of both wildlife and landscapes, as well as updates on some of the stranger things in the state. Um, I know he's on Facebook. I believe he's on other social media, and he is involved with some of the paranormal groups in the area. Keep an eye out for what Ron has going on. It sounds like he's going down and checking out the lith, the quote-unquote monolith that was found. Uh, such a neat, such a neat find. And although it is most surely made by human hands, there is an interesting dynamic in that it so closely mimics and represents possibly the same things as 2001 A Space Odyssey. So... I don't know. I'm sure it's a short list of movie buffs who are able to make something so amazingly appealing. I mean, it looks gorgeous. I would love to see it. And uh, yeah, really neat stuff. Could end up being a state uh, attraction. Who knows? Anyway, until next time, keep your eyes to the skies, feet on the ground, but don't forget 
to take a look around. Blast off, blast off, blast off. 